Welcome back to The Break Room, episode six. I am your host, Alexis Murray, and thank you for listening in. The only thing that never changes in healthcare is change itself, and we're here to keep you in the know. Every June marks the beginning of a new season. Schools are out, summer starts, and vacation planning commences. June also marks the start of the Atlantic hurricane season. We make those plans hoping hurricane season doesn't interrupt. But then there are storms that come along that don't just interrupt our summer plans, but deeply affect our communities. Isabel, Katrina, Sandy, Harvey, and Irma, to name a few. If you felt that the 2017 hurricane season feels different, you're not completely wrong. According to the New York Times, the 2017 hurricane season has been more intense than normal. And as each hurricane season comes and goes, the healthcare community learns something new. As one of the deadliest and costliest hurricanes in recent history, Hurricane Katrina reinforced the need for electronic medical records after many patients' paper records were lost. So what did we learn from deadly storms Irma and Harvey? Today we speak with two physicians in Georgia and Texas about how independent practices can start to create their own emergency preparedness plans. We're excited to announce our newly launched blog, Informed by Privia. At Informed, that's I-N-F-O-R-M-D, healthcare leaders and top doctors discuss hot topics in healthcare, including how to achieve the principles of population health, revenue cycle management, industry news, and more. At Informed, healthcare professionals learn what they ought to know. Visit Informed, remember that's I-N-F-O-R-M-D, at www.priviahealth.com blog. Today, I'm joined by Scott Bolke, a board-certified family practice physician. Dr. Bolke manages Bowler Family Practice and is a longtime resident of Georgia. He earned his undergraduate degree at University of Georgia, his medical education at the Medical College of Georgia, and his medical residency in Columbus, Georgia. First and foremost, as a longtime resident of Georgia, can you talk with us about what it was like for your community during Hurricane Irma? Well, uh, we, it certainly uh, is a concern in our area because we're very close to uh, Savannah, to uh, Savannah, Georgia, to the coastline, and certainly Irma is a was a good, uh, a, a very viable threat to our area. Um, we are uh, just about uh, 45 or 50 miles inland from the coast, and so uh, if we took a direct hit, I think we would uh, be uh, severely affected by a hurricane. And uh, since it just uh, uh, came by us and was not a direct hit. We were very fortunate uh, to uh, to be that way, but certainly uh, gets us prepared and has us on ready for uh, if ever in the future that uh, one day that the Savannah in this area be uh, directly hit. So, as an independent practice, what are your team's biggest biggest challenges when you're preparing for something of that magnitude? Our team, our team at the at the office is certainly uh, getting people uh, to the office and to continue to care for the patients because certainly in these situations, uh, care for the patients and getting their medicines and uh, things squared away will be very important. If we certainly have, if we do have time, and, and which most of the times we are able to have a fair warning uh, for these type of uh, events, that we can you know refill medicines and get things done prior to that. But if it was to be a 
uh, short-term notice or, you know, catastrophe like a tornado or something of that nature. You know, our, our goal is always to keep our staff and uh, safe uh, and make sure it's uh, reasonable for them to come in whenever we can and therefore to, you know, assist our patients that, uh, that need things done uh, because their health issues will continue whether we have a um, an emergency or not as far as uh, weather or uh, various other types of emergencies. And with those challenges, knowing sort of what faces your team, do you have some sort of plan in place? Have you guys thought about creating a disaster preparedness plan just in case something like that were to happen? Yeah, we have uh, uh, have like a chain of command uh, sort of where we uh, I will notify uh, my office manager and we have uh, a tree of a little diagram where they will go down and speak to other people underneath them and to let them know what we're doing and what's happening. Uh, that's number one. I think that's probably the most important is the communication in these certain situations periods. We want to make sure that they have uh, their cell phones on and uh, because, uh, of course, nowadays everybody pretty much uses a cell phone, but the landline certainly can be uh, down at times. So we, we want to make sure that's all squared away. We know uh, we can get in touch with them. That's uh, the first thing. Um, of course, we always want to, once again, make sure that they are safe and the families and their families are safe, too, as well. We don't want to ask them to come in if there's any um, risk to them actually actually coming to the uh, to the office. Uh, second, we, we certainly have uh, areas in our offices, should we have a tornado or something else that we need to uh, be, uh, and we have a fire evacuation plan and so forth. So we, we have some of the very basics uh, in our office itself. Um, but thankfully, I uh, have not uh, needed it quite yet. And when Irma hit, and I understand that you weren't sort of directly in the eye of the storm, but sort of being, you know, around something of that magnitude, what did your team implement just to prepare for whatever may have happened? What did your team implement to provide additional access to your community as people sort of braced for the storm? Well, I, I think the main thing uh, is actually being at the office. We were actually, we only missed uh, one day uh, out of the office. And so that was very, uh, we were very fortunate. We uh, we missed the Monday, which was the time actually the, the hurricane was coming by. So we were able, able safely to get back uh, to the office rather quickly. So I only missed them one day uh, out of the office, which I think helped uh uh, period. We had lots of um, we, we had several patients come in that third, that Tuesday morning, and then the afternoon. We're thankful that we were there and able to assist them. So, I think the most important thing was be able to get back and to be able to take care of uh, the patients. Um, of course, nowadays with the use of electronic medical records and computers and such, uh, we're able to do this even from remote areas. But uh, certainly, uh, actually being in the office and, and taking care of refills and uh, so very and see, actually seeing patients who were actually sick uh, during that time is, is very of the utmost importance. And I think we did a really good job of doing that. And for those independent physicians that are looking to create plans, these these disaster preparedness plans or emergency preparedness plans, what would you recommend to them? You know, it's, it's obviously a lot harder when you don't have the infrastructure that a really large organization does, but obviously you still want to be mindful of the fact that people are relying on you. So what would you recommend to those physicians who want to prepare themselves for whatever may happen? Well, I think to have the uh, basic things in place uh, to be able to 
uh, you know, have everybody's numbers be, uh, be accessible uh, to them and to whoever have a chain of command uh, to be able to do, uh, to be able to notify these people and keep in touch in that uh, situation. Certainly all the, the fire evacuation plans and such forth in the building itself. Uh, but I think probably, uh, once again, the most important is to have the communication. And that's just the utmost, uh, in my mind, the importance of any uh, organization, but especially a small uh, independent practice like myself and others would be just the communication, have open lines of access uh, to these, uh, to your employees and to the folks uh, who, you know, who serve your office as well as uh, you know, serving the patients too. So I think that's one thing we certainly uh, have learned in the past. We've had uh, uh, a couple of hurricanes uh, in addition to Irma uh, that have come close by, so we've kind of learned that uh, lesson rather uh, rather well. Um, but I think there's there's certainly some resources out there that uh, for anybody that can get online and, and look at some of these uh, things that they should be doing. Uh, but basically, but it really comes down to the basics. It's all um, trying to keep it simple and straightforward, and that's the in times of crisis. To be able to keep these things um, very simple and straightforward will help uh, help everybody involved. And did you do anything technology-wise? You mentioned electronic um, health records and how important those are. Obviously, with Hurricane Katrina, so many patients' records were lost because a lot of providers weren't on um, EHRs at the time. And so I think the industry as a whole really learned that lesson. Do you have anything to sort of safeguard your technology so that it's still, you know, up and running despite um, any sort of natural disaster emergency? Yeah, we have uh, in my office. Uh, we're not a, a, at the present time, but uh, in the future will be a web-based uh, uh, EMR. But right now we have uh, uh, a server. We have actually two servers, one that backs up to the other, and then we have a battery backup. So should we lose power, we should be able to run for 24 to 48 hours on the um on the computers itself to run the server so we have to have access to the records now we may not be able to have full capabilities in those situations but then again just the access to the records since everything is on the server and on the computer um we should be able to be able to see the, at least the records themselves and, and know exactly which medicines and so forth and what problems that each patient should have so i think that's probably the most important thing obviously if we once become wet based uh Sometimes some uh, facilities have more than one uh, internet carrier, and that way if one goes down, the other uh, can back up. And now with uh, wireless and uh, cell service, you can also be able to do those things to keep uh, access to the computers as well. And you talked about moving to a web-based platform for your EHR. Is there anything else new that you'll be implementing or that you plan to implement to just better prepare your practice for any sort of natural disaster emergency? Well, I think, uh, once again, making sure that our infrastructure when it comes to the IT is going to be uh, viable uh, to be able to get onto the uh, web-based platform, and I think that's uh, very important. Uh, probably upgrading in some of the technology, too, as well, and making sure that this uh, uh, will be uh, available to us. And then um, I just uh, I, I think that's probably the most important thing, to be honest, uh, just having that to be updated, uh, to have our equipment to uh, be able to perform uh, optimally, and I think that's probably the most uh, the thing that we can do, go moving to a web-based uh, platform. Do you have anything else that you want to share? Anything else that you think 
is important for physicians to know. Well, I think uh, anytime you're looking at anything when it comes to the technology, you got to always just think that uh, if it goes down, what's the backup plan? What's the plan B? And I think uh, because uh, when it comes to computers and the IT, uh, invariably, uh, there's always a possibility that this will go down. So uh, what's being backed up? How is it being backed up as far as your information? And then also, you know, what would happen should the electricity uh, or the Internet go down and so forth? So we're so dependent now on... On, uh, uh, the technology and the computers and and the internet that uh, we've got to be able to uh, understand that it's not if it's not there if any portion is not available you got to have a backup plan so being that having that available uh, I think is probably the most important thing. We're also joined by Dr. Mark Cohn, president of Privy Medical Group for the Gulf Coast, Texas region. In addition to his 25 years of experience in private practice, Dr. Cohn currently serves as chairman of the board of directors of Southwest Women's Health Alliance, where he developed and implemented a corporate structure that maximizes a practice's autonomy and profitability. Dr. Cohn received his medical degree at Baylor College of Medicine and his bachelor's degree from Texas A&M. Can you talk about what you witnessed as a resident of Houston during Hurricane Harvey and what challenges did Privy physicians in the Gulf Coast region face during and after the storm? In addition, how did your team respond to these challenges? Let me just kind of tell you about, you know, first of all, what, what I guess what Hurricane Harvey was to us. Because, you know, we're living off on the Gulf Coast, so we, we're all familiar with what, what hurricanes are like. I mean, we've all go through you know, a hurricane a year or sometimes a few hurricanes a year. And for people that, that either have, have family members or, or have, like, property on the coast, I mean, we're used to having to prepare for a hurricane. Uh, the, the city of Houston is, is 60 miles inland. And so, you know, we don't ever get hit with 115-mile-hour winds here. By the time you're 60 miles in on a hurricane, you know, the winds are down to, like, 60 to maybe 75 miles an hour. So they don't knock homes over, but they, they knock the power lines over. So, you know, I think that the biggest threat of a direct hit of a hurricane to people who live in Houston is going to be that they're going to be without electricity for a week, and a lot of the roads will be blocked, and so you won't be able to go to work, and the schools will be closed and stuff like that. So in preparing for a hurricane, you know, a direct hit – you're, you're really, you know, you're going to get food and water, and if you have a generator uh, at your house, you're making sure your generator works, or you're preparing to leave town just to wait for all that to get fixed before you come back in, right? And so that's kind of what was, was on our, our radar is that we were, gonna, we were in the line of, of Hurricane uh, Harvey, maybe kind of a direct hit, and then we all either have, have homes down on the, on the coast or, or we have, or we, we have friends that have homes on the coast, or we have members of our family have homes on the coast. So, in addition to us preparing, you know, if you have any property on the coast, then you're really having to go and prepare at a whole another level because, like, the storm surge is a is a big deal down on the coast. And so you have to go move everything up, and you have to get get your boats out of water and do stuff like that. So, we were all kind of scrambling for a few days, getting ready just depending on which one of those those risks apply to you. And then when the hurricane, when it comes in, you know, it's if you get a direct hit, you're, you're going to have effects. And if you're on the dirty side of the hurricane, which is the east side of the hurricane, then the, the, 
the storm surge, uh, and the rain is usually worse. And so as the hurricane started to drift further and further to the west, you know, we actually knew we weren't going to get a direct hit. Um, and then usually hurricanes, once they come on shore, they move up very quickly. Uh, and in, in this case, they were that they were making some forecast that what we could see is something that that, that really happens very rarely, and th- that is that a hurricane would hit the shore and it would just and it would lose all the steering currents, and so it would just it, it would sit there. And if it sits there with kind of one foot on land and one foot on the water, the, the foot in the water continues to, to, to refuel it, and then you could just get a whole lot of rain in, in one area. That area is going to be at the dirty side where all, all the bands would be drawing water from the Gulf of Mexico, and then once they get on shore, they'd lay the water, the water down. So, you know, for, for those of us who've lived here for a long time, I mean, we were probably paying more attention to that. I can tell you that, you know, I, I have kids in the college age group, and to, to, to the high schoolers in the college age group, it just seemed like a big spring break because, you know, the hurricane wasn't going to be a direct hit, and, uh, and yet all the schools were closed, and so uh, everybody was off. Uh, so for, as I watched the forecast, I had great concern that it wasn't going to be a, a wind issue. It was going to be a, a rain issue. And as it turns out, you know, the rain even exceeded even even the most ominous of the forecast and that we ended up with like 51 to 56 inches. Historically, it's they, they've now they've determined it's the most rainfall in any area in the in the in the history of you know, recording in the United States. And it just so happened that that the, the bullseye of that rain was the fourth largest city in the country. So, you know, very few people could have, uh, you know, could have, have, have engineered or designed a system to withhold that much rain over that short a period of time. And so as the rain just continued and continued, I mean, you know, we knew there were going to be a lot of people that are adversely affected. So as uh, I guess as the president of the group, you know, I've got multiple things on my radar that I should be doing and should be corresponding with our physician partners and our employees and all that. And, you know, first and foremost, we wanted to make sure that everybody was safe and dry because a lot of people lost their, you know, their homes and their cars. And uh, in some cases, the flooding was very quick. So they didn't have time to prepare for, you know, for leaving their, their homes or didn't expect that the cars were going to get flooded. So we gathered, um, you know, a, a disaster preparedness team uh, and started to plan for, you know, what were what were our priorities, and we started to divide up what those what the priorities and the tasks were. So, um, you know, stage one of that, although we immediately had concerns about, you know, what the financial impact would be on the business, whether that there were going to be clinics that were completely closed. I mean, we didn't want to be in the middle of such a a disaster, be, you know, show that we're thinking about the business. So we we kind of staged our correspondence with the employees and the doctors. Number one was make sure that everybody is safe and dry and has food and shelter. So we uh, essentially created a, you know, cell phone list, um, you know, combined with an email list. We divide up the list and we reached out to, you know, 
all employees and all physicians uh, uh, of, of all of our medical groups. And that was both at, at the MSO and at, uh, within the physician group. And our physician group now has 51 in individual care centers. So that involved those 51 care centers and all their uh, em employees. And we started to, to kind of aggregate just some type of a data set on, okay, who, who's lost their homes, who's lost their cars, and, and you know, stuff like that. Um, each of the care centers was kind of doing their own thing for their own employees, but we put together, um, you know, a disaster relief fund for both employees at the MSO, and we put a second one together for employees of the medical group. By the second or third day, you know, once we assured everybody was safe and dry, then we went on to kind of stage two of the disaster preparedness plan, and that's an assessment of, of, of all the clinics and what's the condition of your clinic? Are you open? Have you seen your clinic? Are you able to get in it? Uh, if, if there's water in it, how long do you think you'll be out of the clinic and what, what resources do you need to stand the clinic up? And we literally put together, you know, a task force that if a team, if a clinic was down, we, we actually challenged ourselves, how quickly could we get that, that clinic back up and operating? Um, and that involved having, having computers brought down from Washington that were already were loaded. Uh, there, were, uh, there were six of our clinics originally shut down. There were two that we knew took like six feet of water and lost computers and lost everything in them. So we had computers brought down from Washington at this time, you, you couldn't even ship directly into Houston, so we had to ship into, in, into our Fort Worth offices and then have them brought into Houston. We had our, you know, IT team was uh, was standing by ready. We had real estate brokers that were that were were ready to uh, to find new real estate, new office sites to stand up these clinics. Uh, and then as soon as we got the green light, we dropped lines, we dropped phone lines, fax lines computers, uh, help facilitate the move of the furniture that we needed, um, and open up new office sites for, for those, for all six of those, of those clinics. We didn't open up all six, but only two of the, of the six needed new office sites. But anyway, we participated and facilitated in that process. Um, then from, from like a patient care standpoint, you know, we knew that some of our physicians and the clinics were shut down. Some of the employees were, were shut down um, because they were they, they've been displaced from their homes and staying with with relatives or family members and the patients had the same problem so we immediately reached out with the goal to let, let let's try to get a telehealth option you know in place we knew we had one plan for the uh, for the first quarter of 2019 but that wasn't going to help this immediate need. And we wanted to address the need of just the patient care and the continuity of care. So we uh, immediately had that option, I think, set up by by Wednesday. So the you know the, the hurricane rolls in on Thursday evening uh, on Friday. So everybody's kind of off work on Friday. We get rain throughout the weekend. Uh, everybody's completely flooded Monday and Tuesday. And we had some clinics starting to open up on Wednesday, more on Thursday, a few more on Friday, and then. By Monday or Tuesday the next week, we had, we had all of our clinics back up and running. So uh, essentially eight or, or nine days from the initial hit of the hurricane, we had all clinics um, 
you know, all clinics up and running. And in spite of that, in spite of that, it's a significant financial hit to, um, you know, to most of the clinics. So from a, from a business standpoint, then we also worked it um, from the, the financial side. We knew that, that this was going to be a 15 to 30 percent cut in the, uh, in the revenues for a clinic. And if you're 30 percent cut, that's usually what's left for the physician compensation, somewhere between maybe 30 and 40 percent. So we immediately, um, you know, started working that avenue, reached out to all the, all the providers and said that we expected a cash flow shortage and that in, in the short term we would withhold all physician compensation unless they, unless they felt like they had enough reserve and they, they didn't want to you know, stop their current physician comp models. Um, we also worked it from a, an AR standpoint. We pushed out the AR uh, as quickly as we could, and we helped uh, the clinics get their claims dropped to try to get, you know, any short-term infusion of cash into the businesses that we could. Based on your 25 years in private practice, what would you tell independent physicians looking to create a plan to deal with these natural disasters or other emergencies? I would say that this is probably a good idea just to put one day on your, you know, as an agenda item on a retreat or something that you should probably have some type of disaster preparedness plan in, in place, even if it's just like a skeleton form, so that in the event of a disaster, everybody's expecting and knows, okay, I'm, I'm on the disaster preparedness task force, and I know I'm going to be expected to meet in, in the middle of this. To, to start figuring out how we're going to going to execute on the plan, I don't think that you need to know the details of it because you won't know un, uh, until you're in it. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think just having some kind of skeleton framework that that you have an idea if a disaster hits that we're going to be expected you know to put together a, a response. What do you think the healthcare industry has improved on in regards to emergency preparedness, and what do you think still needs to be done? Well, I, I think that each time, um, you know, a, a disaster kind of hits and, the, you know, there's an adverse outcome as a result of not being prepared for the disaster. You know, we, we, we all learn from the mistakes of others. So I think in regards to getting better, uh, I, I think that the cities have gotten a lot better um, after the disaster uh, in New Orleans, uh, I think everybody probably learned a lot from that. Based on what we've learned from Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, how is Privia bracing its practices for the potential of future natural disasters or emergencies? Well, I don't, I don't think that this has, has happened, but um, certainly our experience, I mean, I felt like in retrospect, you know, I thought that we really did a really good job and it was, um, it was something that was obviously that was felt and remarked upon by our uh, by our, our physicians and by the by the office managers and I think the employees at the MSO um, and I, I think that's the from experiences from uh, from prior hurricanes along the Gulf Coast that we we were as prepared as we were um, and, I, and I think you know once uh, a medical group within our Privia network has kind of experienced that and put together the infrastructure. That is the beauty of the of the model. And the model is that we all don't have to, to be the first to invent and the first to learn, you know, everything that, that we're going to do. There's more work to be done in, in, uh, as we transform 
healthcare than each of our medical groups uh, really has time to do on their own. And so we're going to share that skill and that experience with each other. So now that we have the, the cookbook for, let's say, for, for hurricane preparedness or for flooding preparedness, we'll share that with other, other Privia member groups uh, so that they don't have to experience a hurricane to, to learn how to do all that. You know, we'll share that with them. We want to thank Dr. Cohn and Dr. Bulky for joining us today to talk about natural disaster preparedness, and also thank you for tuning in to episode six. You can subscribe to future episodes or check out past episodes at go.priviahealth.com slash the break room. You can also find the break room on iTunes, so please subscribe, rate this episode, and leave a review. Please remember to check out our newly relaunched blog, Informed by Privia, at priviahealth.com slash blog. If you have any questions about Privia, I want to learn more about how we're putting physicians in the driver's seat. Please contact the Privia team at 888-996-0232.